So there's a guy named Bob Vernon. Bob Vernon, and he's a, uh, a Los Angeles motorcycle cop, right? So he's a Los Angeles motorcycle cop. He's, he's happened to be sitting on his motorcycle. Um, he's relaxing. He's enjoying the day. And here comes a pickup truck that comes speeding past him, blows through the stop sign, and it's going really fast. At that moment, he's like, man, I wanted to relax, but I might as well. I got to do what I got to do. So he gets on the motorcycle, he chases, he's, he's, and he starts to put his lights on, and he's after him. At that moment, the, mo- the driver of the, mini, of the pickup truck is like, man, how did he catch me so fast? Like, they, they're on to me. The reason why he said that is because moments earlier, he had just robbed a store. And so next to him, he has a bag of money and he has a gun. And he's thinking that he's getting chased down because of the crime that he committed. Well, little did he know he was only going to get a speeding ticket because that's, what he, that's why he was getting pulled over. He does pull over. But as he pulls over, he puts his hand on his gun that he has next to him. The cop comes over. And he lowers the window, and he says, license. And, and before he can even say registration, the guy took, takes the gun and shoots the police officer at pretty much inches, inches away. Now, he hits the officer in the chest. The officer flies back a couple feet and for a moment was kind of dazed. But to the amazement of the pickup driver, the officer gets back up, takes his gun out, and shoots a couple rounds in there, you know, this is like, you know, cops on Sunday, right? So, so he shoots his gun in there a couple of times, and he hits the, the criminal in the leg. And at that moment, he's like, all right, I surrender. I'm sorry. <laughs> and he turns himself in, and he gets arrested. What you guys know is that the protective vest that he had on saved his life. It saved his life. However, there's another story. Of another guy, um, do I have his name? I don't have his name. That his name didn't make the cut. He's 26 years old, though. We know that, right? He's 26 years old, and he puts on a, a type of protective vest, right? Now, something that's different about those that live in the sticks and those that live in the city is that when you live in the sticks, you gotta you gotta think up of things to do, because sometimes you get bored. In the city, there's always something to do. But they happened to be in the sticks. They were bored. They didn't know what to do. So he's like, you know what? Let me put on this protective vest. And his uncle decided, I'm going to stab you and see if the vest will block the knife. Well, to make a short story shorter, the knife went right through the protective vest and killed the 26-year-old. So an uncle ended up killing his nephew by accident because they were playing with the protective vest in an incorrect way. They were, you know, they used it in an incorrect way. The, the protective vest failed to withstand the blade, and this man died. Having armor to protect yourself, right? Having a, the armor to protect yourself is important, yet... It will do you no good if you do not know how to use it. So far in this series, the battle, we've, we've, uh, we've seen that we're in a daily battle. This spiritual battle that we're in isn't just uh, every once in a while. We are in this battle all day, every day. 
can't get away from it. We also discuss that the battle loves to take place in your mind, where the enemy loves to mess with you, throwing darts, telling you what you should be thinking, what you should be feeling, making you doubt, sowing seeds of doubt, things of, using your mind as the battlefield. We talked about Satan's main weapon being temptation as he seeks out to attack God's word. And we saw that with the example in the garden where he says, did God really say that? Did God really tell you you couldn't eat of any of the fruit? And how the enemy likes to use temptation as one of his main weapons to then, to then establish strongholds in our life that are difficult to tear down. Today, we're starting to discuss the armor of God in this, spiritual, in this spiritual war. This is a spiritual armor. It's a spiritual armor, and I did leave. I had some props. I did leave the props at home. Um, but it's okay because it's not over today, so next week I'll bring the props with me. I, I still have my protective vest from the Marines. The only difference is it doesn't, it doesn't close. It, I was a lot thinner back then, right? So, so when I wear it, I think like it, it comes this far, right? So that's how many inches wider I've gotten <laughs> since then. Um, and uh, I have the utility belt and things like that. So well, next week, I'm going to bring it so we can continue to point some things out. But today, I'm going to take a look at several parts of the armor. And I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10 through 18, I want to read it all first, and then we'll stop at some verses. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the, how much? Whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Again, it says how much? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, which, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. It's a lot of stuff in here, a lot of things. First thing I want to talk about this morning is we see it in verse, uh, we see it in verse 14. And it says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Girded. When I hear that word girded, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Anyone, quick. Girdle, right? You think of girdle. Uh, when I think of a girdle, 
I think of something that my mom or my grandmom or somebody would have worn, right? That's, that's what I think of. Now, now, now you don't have to be a grandma to wear some kind of girl. I mean, everybody's wearing them. But you say it's Spanx? They're called Spanx now? But that's what comes to your mind, right? A girdle, something that, you know, kind of holds things together, right? <laughs> but in this case, it's not referring to that type of girdle. In this case, it's referring to a belt, to a belt. And we refer to it as the belt of truth. This girdle, this belt, right, it would hold the sword in place. It also fastened the clothing securely around the waist, and it made it, made it easier for rapid movement. A lot of times they kind of had like just, you know, like the linen kind of cover, and it looks like a big bata, like a big, you know, what do you call it, like a nightgown kind of thing. And so what happens is when, the, when they would put this belt on, it would tighten, it would bring it closer, so now you can kind of move around easier and things like that. So it made for rapid movement. Um, therefore, be, for they were able to have, you know, uh, partake in some kind of physical activity. They would put that belt on. It was a very important piece of their equipment, of their uniform, right? Like I mentioned, it carried the sheath that they would put the sword in. It also held the breastplate in place. Um, if you guys, sometimes, you know, they would put the, the breastplate part on. We'll, we'll get into that in a minute. And it would kind of hang, it would hang like where my shirt is at kind of, right? And so when the belt would kind of go over it like this, and it would kind of keep, it would keep it from flapping around the, breast, the breastplate part. and would keep it tight to their body. Now, that highlights, right, th this highlights an important truth as we continue to study the armor. When I talk about the belt holding the breastplate in place, I want you guys to remember that. You can't just, you can't just choose ones. You, you, when we study the, the armor of God, we, have, we realize that we can't just pick and choose one or the other. In the verses that we read two times, it said we have to put on the whole armor of God. You can't pick and choose, you know? I know we've seen some movies where, like, you know, the Rambo guy was like, takes it all off, and he just, and he just grabs one gun, and he goes in there, and he takes out the whole compound, Right? That's not happening. That's not happening. This is not a movie. This is real life. Okay? Keep all that stuff on. It's going to help you. It's going to protect you. Doing that, picking one over the other, leaves you in a very vulnerable state. Vulnerable place in your life where you are open to attack from the enemy. It's all connected. It's all interconnected. It all works together. So what does it mean to put on the belt of truth? We hear this all the time. What does it mean? God has called us to be people of truth. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, says you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Meaning... 
What does that, can somebody just yell out, what does this mean? Don't lie. Don't lie. That's what it means. Well, not to testify falsely against your neighbor, and people will try to dissect that. Listen, it just means do not lie. Don't lie. Truth is important to God. It's a foundation of trust. If you want to be trusted, what do you do? You tell the truth. Regardless. Always. All you have to do is lie one time. And all trust that has been established is broken. Those of us that are married... Many of us have been through moments when trust has been broken. From little things to big things, but trust is broken in marriage. And it takes work to build it back up. Can it be built up again? Yes. Is it easy? No. But we work at it because we made a covenant before the Lord. All you got to do is just lie once. When, when we tell the truth, when we are living lives of truth, you have to understand that what it does is it aligns you, it aligns you, right, with the character of God. Do you realize that? When we are living truthful lives, at that moment we are aligning ourselves with the character of God. I don't know about you, but that sounds really good. I mean, yeah, I mean, that sounds really good. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can actually, like, like look like him a little bit? Like, I could, I could look like God a little bit by living truthful lives? Lying, on the other hand, it puts you in opposition to God. And, oh, don't worry, you'll be aligned with someone's character. Just not God's character. Lying aligns you with Satan's character. So now you have a choice to make. You want to be like God in a sense of your character? Or do you want to be like the devil? Wait a minute, why you got to put it like that, Pastor? All I said was I didn't eat the food when I ate the food, and, I, and it's, not, I'm, it's not that big of a deal. You know, you know I, I know I was late, but I, I didn't want to say why I was late. It's not really a big deal, but, you know, I'm going to get into an argument. Listen, lying aligns you with the character of Satan. Living truthful lives will align you with the character of God. John 8, John 8, verse 44 says this. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the... Because there is no in him. When he... 
it is consistent with his character, for he is a and the father of Well, I didn't write it. I'm just, I'm just saying, listen, listen, truth. People are like, oh, pastor, it's not a big deal, though. I love God. I do the right things. I lie about a couple things here and there. I mean, listen, listen, listen. Listen, Linda, listen. <laughs> truth means owning up to some things. It means when you're wrong for something, when you're guilty for something, my bad. My fault. Babe, babe, my fault. Babe, I'm sorry. I did it. Okay. What's that? Oh, next time, next time, Correa. My bad. This is the thing. It's, have you guys ever felt so anxious or worried or scared to tell the truth, but when you finally told the truth, you felt so free? You're like, ah. One thing I I like to brag about, I'm still an imperfect husband. I'm very far from perfect. But I like to brag on the fact that when I started dating Camille, I made a choice. I made a choice to be honest with her from the beginning. She stuck around, so it worked, right? (laughs) I made a choice, and you know how easy it was to have a relationship without having to think about which lie I mentioned? I was in previous relationships when I had to be like, wait, what did I say about this? Because you got to keep up with the lie. You lie once, and then you three years later, be careful. They remember. They remember. They remember, and so you got to, you know, it, it was just too much work. It was stressful. It was living a life like that is not, it's not good. I mean, now I, I read the verse. I'm like, man, I'm, almost, I'm aligning myself with the character of Satan because I was living like that. But it's so freeing to live lives of truth and honesty. Yes, that includes the little so-called the white lies, right? We call them, oh, it's just a little white lie. It's just a little white lie. Did you know that you also lie when you stay quiet about some things? Because some of y'all are like, well, I, don't, I ain't going to lie. I ain't just going to say nothing. <laughs> Betsy's looking at Mo like, why you got to laugh so much? Why are you laughing so much about this? Betsy, let him laugh. Let him, let, him, let him let it out. Let him let it out. Staying quiet is also lying about some things. You know, somebody's asking, well, who did this? Who did this? Snitches get stitches. That's all I'm saying. I'm not going to say nothing. <laughs> Oh, man. Another way we lie without even opening our mouths is on paper. And a common lie that is very famous in, 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 in a lot of urban areas, right, a lot of cities, is tax time. I'm going to say it, church. The truth shall set you free, church. 
All right, listen. I'm, let, me, let me tell you how some of the lies look. Sasha, can I borrow Mackenzie for my taxes? I know she don't live with me. I know I don't take care of her. I know I don't do nothing. But you know what? I mean, I could use a little. If it's that case, then you know what? You do your taxes the right way. And then an offering to someone that might need it. But this whole, this whole like, yo, you got five kids. Let me borrow two. So I could do my taxes. You know? I know. We, we claiming people that live in Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic and all other places, right? That's one. And then a lot of people have their own businesses. So at the end of the year, you're like, I made 100K cash in my cash business, but it's now time for me to tell the government how much I made. So let me just tell them I made 50 so that I can keep the other 50 tax-free. That's lying. It's lying. It's stealing. Listen, I get it. I get the press, too, when you get your check and a third of it is gone. I, I get it. Like, I, I know the feeling. I get it. But do you feel, let's be honest, do you think God will continue to honor your businesses? Do you think God will continue to honor your finances? Do you think he will bless your home when the money that he's already given you, because everything that you have is because he's given to you, right? No matter how much or how little. So now the money that you have that he's given to you, you lie on it. What would he do? I mean, can, can, can God truly bless that? God can't bless sin. Anyways. That's a form of lying. That's a form of lying. And they'll catch you. They'll get you. You better watch it. Pastor, I'm locked up. What happened? I didn't pay my taxes in four years. I'm too pretty to be in this jail right now. Sweat it out, bro. Sweat it out. <laughs> Truth means that you need to be honest with yourself and with God. This is the thing. This is the thing. Some of us are in denial. We don't want to admit that we're just wrong. You know, we're in situations and we're just like, there's, there's, it's not my fault. Okay, maybe it's not your fault. I believe, I believe that there's, oh, there's, a, there's two sides to every story, right? There's always two sides to every story. But one thing is we have to be honest and say there are things that I have done wrong. There are things that I should not have done or I should not have said. And you got to take ownership for you, for yourself. Because I can't take ownership for what Camille does. She's got to do that, right? You got to do that. If I could, I would. If I could just take it all on me, I would. But we have to be, we have to hold ourselves accountable. And we have to be honest with God. God, you're right. Your word says this, and I haven't been listening to it. I've been struggling. I've been fighting against your word. And you know what? Sometimes 
Sometimes we can have a really simple, honest conversation with God. First of all, he already knows what's going on, right? But it's like, God, you know I've been rejecting your word. I know, you, I know, I know that, that, that you've been sending, the, uh, you know, trying to guide me. I've been a little stubborn. I've been rebellious, but, but, it, but I'm, I don't know why. I'm struggling. I want to do the right things, but I can't. Who said that? Paul. He's like, I try. I want to do the right things, but I'm, I'm always end up doing the wrong things. It's like the battle going on within me. So guess what? It's not a new thing to feel that way. Paul felt that way himself. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. So we don't need to be ashamed when we feel that we're struggling with wanting to do the right thing, but yet we can't. And that's why, look around you, this is important. Because in moments that you can't do it, Mike will be like, come on, come on, I'm going to do it with you. I'm going to do it with you. I know you can't do it, but I'm going to do it with you. Trust me. Let's do it together. That's why this is important, this community, this family. 1 John 1.8 says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Again, this aligns with someone like, I'm good. Well, if you think you're good, then you're living outside of the truth because the truth is that you're not good. The truth is that you're a sinner, just like me. We all are sinners, right? John said, and this is another reason why, if we understand this, there should not be shame amongst us because no one here is perfect. No one here has it better than someone else. And so that's why we should feel um, comfortable within our family to be like, I'm a mess right now. John 17, 17 says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. We are made holy by his truth. 1 John 1.10 says, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So pretty much, if we say we've never sinned, right, then at that moment you're not wearing your belt of truth. Do you understand that? You're not living in truth. To put on the belt of truth is to make a decision to live in truth. And we see that truth is the word of God. But pastor, seriously though, I'm not going around saying I don't sin. Who goes around saying I don't sin? None of you guys. I wouldn't expect you guys to be like, I'm, I don't sin. I don't expect that. Who does that, really, these days? I mean, we had Pharisees back in the day. But really, people, I can, we, we realize that we all, we're all a mess to a certain extent. But the thing is this. The opposite, <laughs> the opposite of denying my sin is confessing my sin. So therefore, we may not be saying, we may not be saying, I'm not a sinner, I'm not a sinner, I'm not a sinner, but many of us are not confessing our sin. Therefore, if you are not confessing your sin, 
then through action, you're saying, I'm not a sinner. I have no sin. Are you guys getting this? Very important. Very important. One, uh, 1 John 1, 1.9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, I think I read this right, but I want to read it again. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful. He's just. He's going to forgive us. He cleanses us. But isn't it the reality of today's life, right? Who of you love to admit when you're wrong? How many of you guys like to say, I'm wrong. I messed up. I don't think, it doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally to say, I'm wrong. I messed up. <laughs> Yo, I got, I got ADHD and Betsy and Mo are hilarious. I, you guys start preaching in front of them. They are hilarious. I love you guys. No, no, keep it up. Keep it up. You good. You good. You good. If y'all, not, if y'all don't know what I'm talking about, I was like in the middle of serving, she'd be like, mm-hmm, and then he'd be like, uh-huh, and then be like, uh-huh. <laughs> they're, they're hilarious. No, no. But listen, <laughs> the thing is that the reality is that we don't like to admit that we're wrong. Yeah, I'm a sinner. I get it. I get it. But why I got to tell people? Ah, yeah, I get it. I'm a sinner, right? But, um, but how many people want to go into details of their sin? Right now, who's a sinner? Everybody put their hands up. All right, what you sin? Oh, come on, Pastor. Are you seriously? <laughs> seriously? You want to ask me that? In front of everybody? <laughs> it's easy to say, I'm a sinner. And it's so much harder to confess your sin, to own it, to say, this is what I've done, and I'm sorry. You know, it's easy. I, I, I know husbands, I mean, I'm guilty of this. I'm like, yeah, no, I was wrong for the whole thing. I was wrong. No, no, what were you wrong for? Why, why y'all do that? Why women do that? Why y'all want to hear it like that? No, babe, you know what? You're right, you're right, you're right. I was wrong, I was wrong. No, no, but, but what, 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 what exactly, what exactly was I right about? What exactly were you wrong about? Ah, oh, well, at 7.30 a.m., And then at the end, when you're done, she's like, thank you. (laughs) And the weight is lifted. (laughs) And the weight is lifted. It's hard. It's hard to to be truthful about the things that, that we're sinning about. Put on the belt of truth. Live lives of being truthful to God, truthful to others, and truthful to yourself. So that's the first part of our armor. And the thing is, if you notice, everything will interact, everything interlocks. This is, he's given us, he's given us this spiritual armor that if we were to put on the whole armor, when the spiritual attacks come, because they will, we will be prepared to overcome them. You see, that's the thing. Do you want to be an overcomer? I know there's songs about it. I'm an overcomer, Right? It's easy to sing about it. It's easy to sing about it. The thing is this, the Bible tells us what to do so that you can overcome. 
And it's not just saying, the Bible doesn't say, sing this song that says you're an overcomer so that you can be an overcomer. It don't say that. It doesn't say that. It tells us instructions. If we put on the whole armor of God. The second, the second, uh, second one I want to talk about really quick is the breastplate of righteousness. Remember the officer we talked about it? His, his Kevlar kept him from dying, right? If he had not been wearing that vest, he would have been dead. The breastplate that he was wearing was made of Kevlar. Back then, they were made of like metal plates um, or, uh, or sometimes even some, even some were kind of like with, with chains. They were like chains that were across their chest, things like that. Um, it covered like the front part of their body, like from their neck to their waist, and, um, and it covered their back as well. The purpose of it was to protect their vital organs, right? It's, it, it, it's something hard, so their vital organs were somewhat protected. Um, you know, their chest, lungs, heart, things like that. So what does it mean to put on the breastplate of righteousness? Because these are the things that we hear all the time, like... I, I, you can list them, you can recite them, but sometimes you don't really understand what it means. To understand putting on the breastplate of righteousness, right? There's two types of righteousness that we see about see in the Bible. One that's called like uh, imputed righteousness, and the other one is imparted righteousness. And so imputed righteousness is like uh, if God says, you know, when you accept Christ, when you accept Christ, and he goes, hey, what's up? How you doing? Thank you for accepting me. I've got all this righteousness stuff, and you don't. So I'm going to give you some of mine. I'm going to give you some of mine. And this is imputed righteousness, right? And what he does is he gives us righteousness as a gift. That's why we can't claim any credit for righteousness. You understand? He gives it to us like a gift, right? And then this brings us to the blood of Jesus. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says, And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony, and they did not love, they did not love their lives, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. We see this in this verse, that the blood of Jesus is part of our weaponry. But how does this really work? How do we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb? So when they would make these breastplates and armor and stuff like that, what they would do is they would take like linen or leather and then they would put these, they would put these plates or whatever was hard and they would like attach it to the leather or the linen garment, right? And so that's kind of like you can put it on or you could take it off. But these plates were attached in, in ways to something first, linen or leather. And the linen or leather, what it did is it held all the plates together. It held everything together. The blood of Jesus is like that leather or linen on the breastplate. It holds it all together. Um, Without it, the breastplate would just fall into bits. Righteousness would just fall apart. There would be no righteousness without the blood of Jesus. Does that make sense? Very important. Without the cleansing of the blood of Jesus... Our righteousness is non-existent, non-existent. Our own righteousness provides no protection from our enemies. Isaiah 64 and the first part of verse 6 says, But we are like an unclean thing, 
and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. So that's what your righteousness looks like. Your righteousness is dirty and it's filthy. You can't put all that metal, protective, strong armor on some broke, filthy rags. Can't do that. If we want to have our breastplate on properly, it is important that we understand that the blood of understand the blood of Jesus and how to use it properly. It's a part of your armor. Now I'm laughing because. Um, the, it, I'm kind of getting sidetracked, right, because it, it, took me, it takes me to a different direction that I have to touch on real quick. I have to touch on this because when I talk about the blood of Jesus and using the blood of Jesus, we talked about using the name of Jesus properly couple, like last month, two months ago, right, something like that, right, how it's not just in the name of Jesus and it's like a hocus pocus, right? Um, the same thing kind of goes with the blood of Jesus, right, because sometimes we run into some religious superstitions, it might rub some people the wrong way today. But, but you got to trust me in this journey. Superstition, first of all, is a belief based on emotion rather than reality. Superstition, I will, Brother Al. Superstition is a belief based on emotion rather than reality. So we have to be careful that we don't use the precious blood of Jesus <laughs> superstitiously, right? right? <laughs> so there's two main superstitions regarding the blood of Jesus that seem to be very common amongst Christians. Not people, you know, but Christians. First one is, throughout the years, I've heard many people say, because I remember I was raised in church my whole life, I've heard people say, pleading the blood. Pleading the blood. What does the word pleading mean? Begging to make an emotional appeal, right? They plead the blood about this situation or about this situation. Fun fact, the phrase plead the blood does not exist in the entire Bible. What? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. I know. I know. I know. I had, to, I had to, like, let me make sure. Let me make sure. It doesn't. I know it sounds super spiritual. It sounds something that maybe we're supposed to say. It sounds right. I plead the, plead the blood over this situation. And I get what people mean, and I don't think people are saying it to, because they want to be superstitious about the blood of Jesus, right? But it's just an ignorance to understanding the blood of Jesus. And I want, I want, I'm, we're going to understand it today together, Right? You don't need to plead. You don't need to beg for the blood of Jesus. You need, do, do we need to beg for it? He died on the cross for you so that you can receive it. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If you want the cleansing of the blood of Jesus, if you, wanna, if you want the blood of Jesus to be involved in whatever situation you may be involved in, there's just two things that you need to do. Number one, you need to walk in the light. 
What does that mean? <laughs> it means doing your best to live according to the word of God. And the second thing is to confess your sins. And we saw that in 1 John 1, 9, when we said if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you, right? Confess your sins and walk in the light. It's that simple. People plead the blood when they don't actually understand where they stand in Christ. Or it's ignorance. Or it's repeating what you hear all the time. And that's sometimes we just repeat, repeat, repeat. Some will treat the blood of Christ like a, like a bucket of paint that they take and they can dab on stuff when they want. So this leads to the second one, when they say, like, I plead the blood of Christ over this monitor, and they cover it like that. I plead the blood of Christ over my dog, over my house, over my car, over my, car, over my, over my job. And, I, and, 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 there's, and again, again, I know what you mean. I, I'm getting the sense of what you mean. But you don't need to plead for Christ's blood. It's not, Christ's blood is not like a, it's not a lucky charm. And we talked about this when he, well, about calling his name. Pleading the blood is not like, you, you, like putting on a piece of garlic so you can ward off the vampires. It doesn't work that way. Okay? You know, every time we look in the Bible and we look at where it mentions the blood of Jesus Christ. I want you guys to understand this. Every time you read the Bible, in any verse, in any context, in any book, and it's mentioning the blood of Christ, you will see that there are phrases and words that come along with it, that are attached to it, and those phrases and words sound like this. Remission of sins, eternal life, peace with God, justification, new covenant, Redemption, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation, purification, access, cleansing, sanctification. These are all things that can't apply to a thing. Do you understand that? They, 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 all the things that go along with what the Word says about the blood of Jesus Christ cannot be applied to material things. Every time it comes down to one thing, the, concili- the, concili- <laughs> the con- conciliation, reconciliation, the reconciliation of a person with God. It boils down to that. And it's very important. It's not a lucky charm that you can just pop out when you think you need it. This applies to you. As a person, it applies to you. It's a part of your breast, breastplate to protect your heart. It cleanses your heart from sin. It keeps you in right relationship with God. And through the blood of Jesus, we are justified and made righteous. Justified and made righteous, the same righteousness that Jesus had in himself. You want to know what destroys the effectiveness of the breastplate of righteousness? When you get a defective breastplate of righteousness, you know what it looks like? It looks like unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. Or, in some cases, saying sorry to God, I won't do it again when you know you're going to do it again. 
when we, when we have unconfessed sin and when we keep saying, sorry, God, sorry, I'm going to do it again, and you know you're going to do it again, and you know you're going to do it again, these things damage your breastplate of righteousness. It is ineffective. It's not going to work. It's broke. It will not stop an attack of the enemy. In fact, it welcomes it. You ever, you ever, uh, well, you guys are not violent people. I was going to say, you ever notice an opponent's weak spot and then you hit that person in that weak spot? You ever seen, okay, you ever seen a boxing match or an MMA fight when the guy is limping already? And the opponent is like, oh, he's limping on his right leg. And then all of a sudden, he keeps kicking the right leg, kicking the right leg, kicking the right leg. Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? When we have a defective piece of armor, the devil goes like, oh, he's weak right there. That breast plays, that breast's not going to do any good. And he attacks you there. And he hits you there. And he hits you there. Going back to the two types of righteousness, we, you know, we said we have imputed righteousness, which is through the blood of Christ, and then imparted righteousness, right? This, this one's a little harder because it means that you got to work for it. It means you got to put something in. You know how they say you have skin in the game? This is your commitment or your willingness to surrender and to yield to God on a daily basis. I yield to you. I surrender. Whatever you want, God. I'm wrong. You're right. I'm a sinner. You're perfect. You're my Savior. And and, and on a daily basis, making a decision to surrender it all, acknowledging that you're a mess on a daily basis, and you grow in righteousness. And that process is called sanctification. Amen. That process is called sanctification. Okay, lastly... Lastly, in closing, we'll hit one more up. The preparation of the gospel of peace. We'll close, we'll close in with this. With the shoes. We'll close with the shoes. We need to, we need to put these shoes <clears throat> of the preparation <clears throat> of the gospel of peace. What Paul was thinking about what he most likely had in mind were the type of shoes that the Roman soldiers wore. They looked like half boots, right? So imagine, I was looking around, ain't nobody got these because it's kind of it's cold, nobody. Half boots, right? So what it looks like is imagine having a boot and then you take a knife and you cut open this part so your toes can be sticking out, Right? So, like, you have a boot on, but your toes are free, right, in the air. These are half boots, and these soldiers would wear it. And why the, having the toes out like that, believe it or not, it gave them better stability because their toes could, you know, like when, you have your, when, you, when you're, like, walking barefoot, your toes can kind of, like, like, grab things or kind of move around or, you know, right? In whatever case... Having their toes open like that, it gave them a sense to being able to to move readily, and it still allowed a firm grip. They were made of very strong leather, and the soles, right? The soles back here, they were studded with hobnails. 
like, like look like little nails. Whoever played football or baseball, you guys call them what? Cleats, right? In this case, it was, it was to give them stability in their marches so they won't slip around and stuff like that. But it was also a weapon if you just happen to be on the floor and they stomping you, right? These are the shoes that were worn by these soldiers. Footwear is important part of the soldier's uniform. Without the right shoes, it would be a disadvantage in battle. For those that love history, I think, uh, what was it? Uh, George Washington, when he had the soldiers uh, throughout the winter, what was the main issue with his soldiers? It was their feet. Like, they had a lot of, a lot of them were like wet feet all the time, and it causes uh, all sorts of things to, you know, uh, if soldiers can have all the weapons, they can have all the weapons, it can have unlimited ammo, they can have it, but if their feet are messed up, you can't, you can't go anywhere. You can't, you can't move, you can't run, you can't attack, you can't defend yourself if your feet are not protected. Feet make all the difference. When we were in the military, one thing they always taught you was like you have to like, we, we would carry like five or six pairs of socks in our backpack because we'd have to switch out your socks in long, in long marches because you didn't want to have wet feet and then march with wet feet because then it would rub against the boot and then would like, you would look like you would have raw feet after hours and hours of marching. So what are the shoes that we have to put on? What exactly does it mean to put on shoes? And then somebody was just cut it short, right? Shoes of the gospel. The gospel shoes. What does that look like? The term preparation means readiness. It means being prepared. Are you prepared with the gospel of peace? Do you know what the gospel is? That's a serious question. If somebody were to go to you and say, Juan, what's the gospel? Can you explain the gospel? Well, God sent his only son, Jesus, and he died on the cross because we were all sinners. He died, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, he bridged God, the Father, and us. And it's through Jesus and his sacrifice and his blood that we have access to the Father. We can have eternal life if we accept him. Do you know the gospel? Can you explain it? Can you explain it to somebody if they ask? Are you ready? If the answer is no, then you forgot your shoes. You're not wearing your shoes. Are you ready to pray for someone in a time of need and share your faith with them? I'm, I have to apologize in advance 
because I want to know that I did my part as the pastor of this church that did my part to train you so that you can be Christians without me. Does that make sense? So you need to be ready to pray for people. I get the phone calls and they sound like this. Hey, pastor, um, there's someone that's sick and I, and I want you to pray with them. And my first thing is, okay, have you, have you prayed with them yet? Have you, have you met? Oh, no, no, I was, I was calling you. Well, well, why can't you pray with them? I mean, you're, you're the pastor. And you're a Christian. And you have a relationship with God. And he'll hear you the same way that he hears me. Do not hesitate to think that you can't pray for someone. You can. And having, the, 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 having these shoes on, right, says that I am ready and prepared that if I need to pray for someone and lead them in the, my, in, in the direction of the faith that I have, I'll do it. If you don't feel that you can do that, run back to your closet because you forgot your shoes. Lastly, are you actively looking to share your faith with others? Are you looking for an opportunity? I think we can all be a little guilty at this because we get caught up with life. We get caught up with life in such a way we're like, well, I'm busy right now. I'm busy right now. I got to get things done. I got to get things done. I, get this done. I, I, I think I knew someone one time. I, I still know him. And you know what? He can, be, he can appear weird to some people. But there's one thing I admire in this man, truly I admire in him, is that he will share the gospel with everyone. You can't walk to the corner store with this guy without him telling someone, yo, you know Jesus loves you, right? Like, I mean, he just, it's, it's, it's just like, but, and, and to the point where Christians don't want to hang out with him because, you know, he, he, that's all he talks about. But I do admire that Anywhere he's at, anybody, any situation, he's ready to share the gospel. He wants to share the gospel. Are you actively looking, who can I tell about Jesus today? Who can I share the gospel with? Who can I give the good news to? Who, can I, who, who, who is lost right now and needs to be found? Church, we are in a real, we are in a real war. I know bombs not going off, gunshots not hurting the background. I get it. But the Bible says this is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Things are happening in our families. Things are happening in our marriage. Things are happening in our households. And some of it has no explanation. Why am I still going through this? Why is this happening to me? Why do I feel this way? Why am I struggling with this? Is this all a part of the spiritual war in your life right now? Pastor, why you got to super spiritualize everything? It's the truth. It's the truth. Everything that you're going through right now is a result of this war, this battle for your soul. And some of us, some of us need to make a decision. It's 
I'm not saying that you're going to leave here looking like Rambo in one day. But you know what? It's a decision to say, I just need, I need you, Lord. I need your help. I can't, I can't do this on my own. I can't. So today I want to pray with you guys because I know it's not easy. And I know it's, not, I know it's hard to say and humble yourself, I need you. I know it's hard. I ask right now that you guys just, if you're feeling like you just need more of God, you need his strength, you need his wisdom, you need help with this spiritual armor, Perhaps you need help with truth. Perhaps you don't, you know what? I haven't been really, I haven't, I haven't been righteous. I haven't been working on righteousness. I haven't been doing that. And you know what? This gospel of peace thing, I'm not ready. I need to be ready. And this, so I want to pray with you this morning. I want you to take a step of faith. Don't hesitate. There is no coincidence. You are here this morning because God wanted you here this morning. We want to pray with you. Make a decision this morning to gear up. Say yes to truth. Say yes to righteousness. Say yes to the gospel. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Use me, Lord. Clothe me, Lord. Cover me, Jesus, so that I can be an effective man, an effective woman, for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name.